the following program is brought to you in living color. And the following is a Steel production. Chris Gall with Visit India is with me. A survey was commissioned by you guys regarding RIFRA and I guess opinions not necessarily related to RIFRA, but perhaps I guess you were looking at how Indianapolis was being perceived by a couple of groups. One, people who decide where to hold meetings, conventions, things like that. And two, you went to Chicago, which is, I, I didn't know this, that's the number one leisure market for Indy. We get more tourists, I guess, from Chicago than most elsewhere. That's right. Yeah, we, you know, since 1923, we've been charged with promoting and marketing and selling Indianapolis outside of Indianapolis in support of driving tourism. And so to, to uh, be healthy in, in conducting marketing on behalf of the city, we regularly go out and ask uh, two major target audiences the, the perception of Indianapolis to make sure that um, we're on the pulse of, of what they're thinking and, and how we should be marketing to them. And so one, again, is meeting decision makers who control billions of dollars in where conventions are held. And then our number Number one market, 60-plus uh, percent of our summer leisure tourism comes from uh, I, just up I-65 in Chicago. And so we thought it would be important to let the dust settle from this spring. We usually ask opinions in the spring, but we let the dust settle. And in October of 2015, seven months after the RIFRA crisis, uh, we partnered with Walker Research, and they helped us conduct some online surveys to these two important audiences to gauge the overall perception of Indianapolis. Would something like this have been done had RIFRA not happened, uh, or do you do something like this regularly? Yes, we would have been conducting this type of research regularly anyway, uh, because you know when you're in the business of marketing a city, you need to know what your consumers and your audience are thinking so that you can be informed in, in how you market and message to them. So we would normally ha we would have normally done a, a survey, and we would have normally asked these audiences. However, we waited a little bit to get into the market to ask them. Uh, we would have normally looked at April or May and, and asked their opinions, but we wanted, knowing that there was an abnormal amount of negative media coverage about the RFRA uh, crisis, we wanted to wait and let that dust settle to get a more accurate snapshot of what people were thinking and, and the overall perception of Indianapolis. And so uh, seven months after the, 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 the spring crisis, uh, we, we went in and asked uh, through, through Walker Research their, their perceptions. And what was probably the most um, hard to hear was that 58 percent of meeting decision makers when asked open-ended unaided has indianapolis been in the news recently and if so for what topics again seven months after after hosting a final four and the indy 500 58 percent of them cited rfra and lgbt issues is what they most recalled and so that stings. Uh, we, we certainly were bracing for a little bit of a ripple effect, a little aftermath, even seven months out. But for ha more than half of the meeting decision makers to recall that as what they most associate with Indianapolis, um, that does sting. And, and it tells us we have a little work cut out for us still. How surprised were you, if at all, by these results based on what you'd heard anecdotally? I know Leonard Hoops, of course, as CEO of Visit Indy, he had said some things anecdotally that he had heard in his travels around the country. Uh, was this surprising in any way to you? Uh, not not 
um, not surprising that there would still be some residual and some, some negativity still floating around in the mind of these two important audiences to the city of Indianapolis, but not to this degree. I mean, we, we had traveled, uh, our team of 60 work with a sense of urgency to, to market Indianapolis, to sell Indianapolis and support tourism. And as we've gone about traveling uh, globally and nationally and within the state, we're still routinely asked about um, what's being done in Indiana, what's being done in Indianapolis, how might this impact tourism as a whole. And we still receive a lot of questions from, from those who are curious on the barometer of, of what's happening here uh, in Indianapolis and over at the State House. So, uh, you know, we, we, this validated uh, the, the concern that, that this, this issue was still on the mind of meeting decision makers and, and, and can't be taken for granted that they know of our longstanding human rights ordinance. So we've been working hard to, uh, to, to make sure that they know that since 2005 we've had this uh, longstanding HRO that, that protects for sexual orientation and gender identity. And then on the Chicago residential side, only 43% of those believe that the statement Indy welcomes all is accurate. Uh, that it's true. And so that tells us that there's still some, some residual impact with those um, those important uh, people to us, the Chicago residents who come down I-65 and spend a lot of money in support of tourism. So, you know, we take this research, we inf- it informs our marketing and it informs our messaging, and, and uh, we use it to be stronger and to be better and, and to hopefully work through the, the continued misperception about Indianapolis. You went out of your way with the uh, Indy Welcomes All campaign after all of the Riffra mess to try to emphasize that the city was a welcoming place. Given that you had less than a majority, though, of your respondents agreeing with the phrase Indy Welcomes All, to be sure that was a higher percentage than the perception of Indiana welcoming all, how would you characterize the success, then, of the Indy Welcomes All campaign? Well, it served as a crutch. It served as a mantra. It served as a rally cry to get us through the, the really the, the, the dark days there this past spring. What this survey and the results from the survey tell us is that not everyone still believes that, that it, it, though we spent time and money and effort and energy as a city with the mantra, Indy welcomes all, playing towards the longstanding human rights ordinance, uh, the results from the survey show that we still have a lot of work cut out. Now, we can't let that phrase go quite yet, especially as the state house lights up and debates this very delicate and important topic. So we, we've reinserted Indy welcomes all into our marketing, into our vernacular. When we go to a trade show, when we visit with a meeting decision maker, when we're talking to someone about coming to Indianapolis and spending time and money, uh, Indy welcomes all is something based on the survey we've we've reinserted into our vernacular because it it's certainly not um, being um, consumed at the rate we need it to be and understood at the rate we need it to be to be successful. Talking to Chris Gall, VP of Marketing with Visit Indy. Now, you have this survey. You also have actual numbers of conventions that are coming here this year and might be scheduled for future years. It looks like we still have a good amount of convention business. There was the news that Gen Con is expanding. They had previously announced expansion plans. It looked like they might scale those back during the RIFRA debate, but then they went ahead and announced, yes, we're going to go ahead and expand out to Lucas Oil Stadium. You still have a a lot of other convention business coming in. As far as the hard numbers of people coming to Indianapolis, at least on the convention side, the business side, have those been affected by all of this, or can you quantify that yet? That's a great question. Yeah, what we have found is that groups and meetings and conventions that know Indianapolis and have an existing relationship like Gen Con, um, they're giving us the benefit of the doubt. 
they're in love with us and we're in love with them and and they are not as impacted as other groups who maybe are trying Indianapolis for the first time to meet. Uh, perfect example, Gen Con, eight years in a row of record-breaking attendance and news recently that they're growing so big they need to expand into the connected Lucas Oil Stadium. Groups that have never met here are the ones we're concerned about. Uh, we did lose a handful of conventions and when asked why, uh, they cited RFRA and LGBT issues and we're still scrubbing that number and next week at our state of tourism where we'll gather more than a thousand tourism executives for a state of tourism on how we looked in 15 and, and concerns and opportunities for 16 we'll, we'll be releasing just how uh, deep that cut was in terms of lost convention business we're, we're still scrubbing that number but we were impacted we did see um, fallout from this uh, both on clearly a perception uh, standpoint but then also lost business and and um, when you have 75,000 people whose full-time paycheck is derived from tourism, uh, that keeps you up at night. That keeps you going and keeps you motivated because we've been able to grow the number of full-time um, hospitality employees over five years by more than 9,000 jobs, new jobs. So we don't take that seriously and we don't take that uh, laying down. We're, we're, we've popped back up from this crisis and we continue to, to beat the drum that Indy welcomes on. And, and, you know, we would like to see something meaningful done at the state house. And, and we do know that it's a delicate issue and one that they're taking seriously. And we, we appreciate that. Meaningful meaning what? Full LGBT rights, uh, gender identity included? You know that's a great question. We're not we've not taken a position on exactly what should or should be included, as we're a bipartisan, apolitical organization. We we do know that the longstanding human rights ordinance that has been in in effect since 2005 here in Indianapolis has been very beneficial, both through the crisis, but also just from a business standpoint through and through. So protecting that and keeping that in place and not removing that or trumping that is paramount for us, and that's where we've been spending a lot of time and effort and energy is helping educate elected officials. On, on how that's helped us and, and the importance of that being kept in place. Um, I should also mention that we did we received research findings from another um, company that's been going out for the last 30 years to canvas the top 40 meeting destinations in North America, and they asked meeting decision makers, separate from the survey we did, uh, the perception of various cities. And when asked um, what cities have recently received bad publicity, uh, the 39th city out of 40 was Indianapolis, only behind St. Louis because of the Ferg Ferguson uh, tragedy. So uh, meeting planners are clearly aware that the negative publicity surrounding Indianapolis, it, it, it does deter them from booking Indianapolis, and it's, it's something that uh, we need to be mindful of. How long of a deterrent is that, do you think? Let's say there's, I mean, you talk about state of tourism next week. Next week is also the initial hearing on these two Senate bills on this very issue. If there is more negative publicity, however long that lasts, how long does that typically reverberate in your business, in your industry? Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's hard to put a number on that. I would tell you it, it does have impact. It, it, it's, it's a couple of quarters at a minimum, because what you end up having to do is adjust your marketing, adjust your me messaging, and rather than punching out the fact that we have more hotels connected than any city in the nation, or that we're built to host major events, or all the goodwill and conversations towards booking a convention get paused, because you end up having to react to and go back to uh, explaining what's happening, and, and you lose time, you, which is, is, is when you're viciously competing with other major cities, and they can come in and scoop up that convention that might be looking at Indianapolis for 20 2020 or 2025, and uh, you know, the big conventions book that far out, and, and any deterrent or obstacle or, or roadblock uh, 
causes pause and that causes potential lost business. So it's it's definitely something we're, we're bracing for as, as this issue, important one, uh, gets this, uh, discussed again in, in a meaningful way. How important is it, and I know you're not technically connected to them, but I know the NCAA is a big player in this, and when we have Final Fours here, we got the women's Final Four this year, men's Final Four down the road, that is going to play a big part in this, and they're going to, you would think, hold some sort of sway here if, say, they decided, you know, we, we don't want to have the Final Four in a place or in a state that is not uh, perceived as welcoming. How how important is the NCAA? Do you think in in all of this? Not not to place one entity yeah. ahead of another. Well, as they were vocal last spring, I think it's it's an, it's a good example to use. We we can never take the NCAA for granted as a city or a state. The impact they have uh, brought through their headquarters here and continue to bring through their events is is in, is, is uh, incredibly beneficial. It keeps our community moving. And, and the good footprint they have as a community partner in terms of their giving and phil, uh, philanthropy. So they are a very important piece to the overall puzzle. And it's our understanding that their voice has been heard and will continue to be heard over at the State House because of the amount of events they bring and because of the physical presence they are they, they have nationwide. And so uh, we, we, uh, we should all be concern as a community on, on keeping them here and keeping them happy and not taking them for granted. And so this is clearly something they're monitoring as well. You know, Gen Con from, from, from afar and, and the NCAA, and for that matter, Eli Lilly and Cummins and Salesforce a little closer to home. So um, it, it's, it, it shows that the business community uh, is watching and, and watching every mo- uh, moment of every day. Last question, and I think I know how you would answer this and, and the, the correct answer, at least what, what you would think the correct answer is, but somebody might not understand. Indianapolis has had this ordinance or their ordinance on the books for 10 years now, mm-hmm. and somebody might wonder, well, you know, regardless of what the legislature does, Indianapolis still has their ordinance on the books. Why can't Visit Indy go out and say, well, look, Indianapolis is this way, um, regardless of what the state law is? Why does it not work that way when you're trying to lure an event here? Well, that's a great question. It, it, for the most part, it, it, it falls on deaf ears because uh, just because the city has an ordinance, um, you know, people were banning travel to the state, which which meant Indianapolis was impacted. It's 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 the perception is reality, uh, and and if if the state as a whole is not seen as welcoming. Um, that sentiment can be taken out on the capital city, uh, of which, by the way, 43% of all tourism spending each and every year is derived from Indianapolis tourism that impacts the whole state. So um, meeting decision makers, event planners, and even tourists as a whole um, have a hard time distinguishing Indianapolis from Indiana and separating those two. And uh, as Indiana goes, uh, is is how Indianapolis is perceived. So we can't say enough that the HR is in place. And and it does have a little impact, but it can also uh, not necessarily um, um, help sway someone in in the long term. Chris Gall is Vice President of Marketing for Visit Indy. There's more information on that survey they commissioned about RIFRA and the perception of Indianapolis at WIBC.com.